what you saw there was John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, acted out in the movie The Gospel of John. The title of today's message is Loaves and Fishes. We're going to be exploring that uh, video that we just watched and the scripture that it represents. In 1996, a bunch of guys from my church, we all packed ourselves into vans and we drove down to Indianapolis to attend a Promise Keepers event. And at that time, it was held at the Indianapolis Superdome. Indianapolis Superdome seated 68,000 people. That's a huge amount of people, especially when you're walking up the ramp and you're looking up at, at the screens and you're looking all over the stadium and you're hearing 68,000 men singing praise to God. That's just a, an experience that just gives you chills when you think about it. And one of the, the things that impressed me about how the Promise Keepers uh, events were organized is how they were able to feed over 60,000 men. When we went outside, they had bun uh, lunch boxes prepared for us. And they just had lines that you'd go through. You'd pick up your lunchbox, pick up some chips, pick up a drink, and you would go and find somewhere out on the street to sit. And they were able to feed all of these men in a very short time. And as I was sitting there eating my lunch, I started to think about what it would have to take to organize how to feed this many people. And it brought to mind the scripture that we just watched in the video there. And it's just kind of how my brain works. I kind of have to figure these things out as I'm sitting there of, of everything that had to go into feeding this many people. So I figured, okay, the goal is to, see, is to feed 60,000 men in under 90 minutes because we only had an hour and a half break. So I figured somebody had to buy all that food for months in advance and they had to do it in such a way that they did it on faith. It wasn't like Promise Keepers just had all this money sitting around. They had to buy it on faith that they would eventually be reimbursed by that many people coming to their conference. Then they had to find somebody to make that many sandwiches. Think about that. They had to make 60,000 sandwiches. 60,000 sandwiches. And if I remember right, it was Subway sandwiches. That means that Subway Sandwich Shop had to make 60,000 six-inch sandwiches in their restaurants. Now, I don't know how many uh, Subways there were in 1996, but right now I looked and there's 20 or Subway sandwiches in the greater Indianapolis area. That means that each restaurant would have to make 3,400 six-inch sandwiches to be able to feed everybody at Promise Keepers for that event. In case you wonder what I do with my time during the week, I figure stuff like this out. <laughs> then somebody had to fold all those boxes. Then somebody had to stuff the boxes. Somebody had to bring the food to, from where it was prepared to the site. Then you had to have 28 pallets containing 2,400 cans of soda and water would have to be transported and put up, up on the tables for us to eat there. Then you would have to figure out where to find 60,000 apples that were in the lunch boxes, and then 60,000 bags of various chips. And then think about all that cleanup. You have to find somewhere to put the recycle, somewhere to put the, the food, somewhere to put apple cores. Everything had to, had to come together to make sure this went off without a hitch because the last thing Promise Keepers wants, is, or any Christian organization wants, is for a giant mess to be left out on the street. So they had to, to uh, take care of all the garbage with this. 
And I was thinking about all the logistics and all the planning that would be necessary to pull some of this stuff off. And then I thought about today's scripture of how God had that all figured out from eternity past and made it come together here. Now this event from John chapter 6 is certainly a miracle. This is a miracle. It wasn't like Jesus had um, between five and 20,000 loaves of bread hidden behind a rock somewhere along with the miracle baskets that he seemed to come up with there in the movie. It wasn't like he had this stuff somewhere. This was a true miracle of God. Jesus takes a poor boy's lunch and he uses it to feed 5,000 men. And if you think about the women and children that were most certainly with them, he's feeding upward of 20,000 people. That's incredible. That's almost, he fed everybody in Trempealeau County a meal. That's a lot of people. And I want to take a few of the people involved in this story today and point out some of the points that had to happen and were taken into consideration and that God had to plan around and help you to see how God uses these seemingly unrelated details to unfold his will in this instance. Let's start with prayer. Because if we can see his hand in history, we can see how he can use us to do very similar things. And that's what I want to pray about this morning. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take this story that people have heard over and over again, the feeding of the 5,000, and you use it, Father, to illuminate how your hand moves in our lives. It's moved in historical times. It's moved in biblical stories. But it still moves today just like it did during the time that Jesus was on this earth. And I ask, Father, that you help us to see this, help us to understand it, and help us to expect it, Lord, in our lives. That you have molded us, shaped us, and brought us together for such a time as this. Father, I ask, Lord, that you do this through the revealing of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first person I want to look at today is Philip. Philip is a person that had to be brought to this specific time and this specific place for God to unfold his plan. Now, it's kind of odd that God picked Philip, or Jesus picked Philip to talk to about this. And it, what it illuminates for us is that these 12 disciples were not just picked at random. It wasn't like Jesus just went out and picked five or 12 guys to come and follow him, just the first 12 guys he met. This was a very specific group of men that God brought together to make the gospel known to the whole world. And Philip was one of these men. And as I was studying this account, I asked the question. I, that's it's kind of how I study the Bible, is I ask the Bible questions. Why? Why? How? How did this happen? Why is this happening? Why did Jesus ask Philip how he was going to feed these people? I mean, why would he ask Philip? Why wouldn't he ask Matthew? Matthew's an accountant. Matthew probably could have just popped a number right off the top of his head. Or why didn't he turn to Judas? Judas was a treasure. Judas, do we have enough money to, to send people into town to feed all these people? I mean, why, why didn't he use this to teach Doubting Thomas a lesson about faith? He, but he asked Philip. Why did he ask Philip? Well, it turns out that they're in the area of a town called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Most of the disciples were from the western side. So Philip is from this area. So of all the disciples that Jesus could talk to about what's available in the area, 
it would have been Philip. That is why Jesus talks to Philip. Philip, what are our resources in this area that we can bring to bear to accomplish God's will and to feed all of these people that have to um, be fed out here in the middle of the desert? It reminded me that when Tammy and I moved here to Whitehall, the Philipsons were our primary source of contact in this area. I know we're talking about Phillips, and now we're talking about Phillips' sons. So see, you guys were the sons of Phillips, our local area experts when we, when we moved here. And they, we, get, we pestered them with dozens of emails and phone calls just asking various things like, you know, where is the house and how many rooms does it have and just different things that we had to know prior to moving. And then after the move, we had no idea what to do about the garbage. You know, just in Kenosha, you toss it in a bag, you toss it on the curb, and that's it. They come and pick it up. But they told us we needed blue bags. And I'm like, well, blue bags are used for recycling. That's what blue bags are used for in Kenosha, recycling. They said, no, you put all your garbage into blue bags. I'm like, well, then they won't take it. Because you put blue bags in Kenosha, they'll fine you for doing that. And we had to, you know, just figure out that that's, you know, you put all your garbage bags in the big blue bag, and then Tri-County Sanitation takes it away. And that's just how we pay for our sanitation here. And so they were our local area experts that helped us get through some of those um, hurdles. Well, Philip is Jesus's local area expert about this. Philip knows the local prices. He knows the vendors. He knows the location of every Subway sandwich shop in Bethsaida during that time. You guys didn't get that, huh? Um, that's okay. It was actually cousins. But... Um, he would give them a quick and accurate estimate that it was impossible for them to feed that many people. Even if they had the money, there's just no way there was any infrastructure in this area that could come together and feed 20,000 people at the same time. But God in his sovereignty made sure that Jesus had these particular men to be his disciples in order to maximize the effectiveness of the gospel message getting out into the world during that time of history. He was very specific in where these disciples came from because eventually they went back home and spread the gospel. But what does that mean for you and me? What it means is God hasn't changed from that time to this time. His sovereignty is still at work in our lives. He still calls us. He still ensures that the right people are in the right time, at the right place, so that His message can go forth. That means you're not in this church, you're not in this area, you're not in a place of employment by accident. You're part of God's sovereign plan. You're part of God's sovereign plan to see the kingdom of God move and advance in this area. You know, sometimes we take these stories in the Bible and we elevate people like Philip and we elevate people like Andrew and we elevate people like Peter and put this on a huge high pedestal that, yeah, these are the saints and, you know, we're just the regular people. No, these were the regular people of their day. There wasn't anything special about these men other than they were chosen by Jesus. But you are just as equally chosen by Jesus to exist in this time and in this place just like they were. Amen. Amen. And really, if you look at it from a modern church planning perspective, you would never choose any of these guys to help you plant a church. I mean, they were uneducated, uncouth. Most of them were fishermen. 
Peter couldn't stop swearing, apparently. He's not, he's not going to be the kind of guy that, that you're going to have to um, get a church going. Yet God used them anyway. He used them right where they are because they were willing to be used, despite their issues, despite their lack of faith, despite their fleshly desires for fame and personal ambition, God still used them. And if God can use these guys, men that our modern church would consider probably unfit for service in the kingdom of God or even membership in a church, what's your excuse for not wanting to serve God? What is your excuse for not turning over more to Him? If you're under my voice right now and you're listening to this, you are part of God's sovereign plan. Amen. Say that with me. I am part of God's plan. Yes, I am part of God's plan. That is true. You have to believe you are part of God's plan. With all of your mess up, with all your fear, with all your doubt, with all your unbelief, with all the baggage that comes with you and comes with me, you are part of God's plan. Amen. Every person here and if you simply believe that and understand that and start to live that, prepare for God to open up heaven over your life. Because there's nothing more thrilling than seeing God work in your life and through your life, the lives of those that he has you placed to touch very strategically during this time. The second point in this story I want to touch on today is the boy and his lunch. And the story gives us a few hints about the boy. First of all, this was a poor boy. We know that by his food. We also know that this boy had to be waiting for a while and that he was close enough to the disciples to hear Jesus' question to Philip to be able to offer his lunch like that. That boy made sure he had a front row seat to listen to Jesus. He'd probably been waiting there all day. He knew Jesus was coming across in a boat and he made sure he had a good seat when Jesus finally landed on the beach and decided where he was going to teach from. We also know he was poor. Barley was the bread that poor people ate during that time. They didn't get wonder bread. They didn't get wheat bread. They didn't get the, the 49 choices that we have in the grocery store. Wheat bread grew at elevation. Galilee is in a low-lying area. Wheat doesn't, didn't grow down there. Only barley could grow down there. So the poor people would go out and pick barley to make their bread. I know the video that we watched showed fish about the size of an average bluegill, but those kind of fish really aren't native to the Sea of Galilee. They were probably two small sardines or two small perch-like fish that you were seeing there. And so you have five barley cakes and two or, yeah, five cakes of barley and two small sardines. And we assumed his mom packed this lunch for him to go to last him the entire day of seeing Jesus teach. Imagine moms, you know, it's Mother's Day. Imagine the honor of packing a lunch so that your kid could go to church. Mom, can you pack me a lunch so I can go to church? How many moms have ever heard that? <laughs> so the boy overhears the rabbi talking to his friends and eating food for all these people. And with childlike faith, he goes up and he tugs on Andrew's robe and offers his lunch to Jesus. And I was thinking about this yesterday when I was driving home from Black River. What did Andrew think as him and the disciples are, are trying to figure out how they're going to feed all these people or what Jesus is trying to get at or teach them during this moment? And, he's, and Andrew has got this kid pulling on his robe. 
hey, hey, I got a lunch. I got a lunch. You, you want my lunch? They got five, five little cakes and some fish. And I, I just wonder, you know, Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter is a rough, tumble sailor kind of guy. So I imagine that Andrew is probably somewhat like his brother, rough, tumble sailor kind of guy. And he's got this kid trying to give him his lunch when they got 20,000 people they need to feed. And I just wonder if, if Andrew initially was kind of just going, get, get out of here, kid. What are you doing? But something in this kid made him bring this lunch to Jesus. And he offers it to Jesus and, and says, I, I, I don't have, you know, this kid says, I don't have a lot, but here it is, Jesus, five loaves, two fish. And there's something about that boy. There's something that stirred in Andrew's heart and then touched Jesus' heart. And that teaches us a lesson, that there's something about childlike faith that stirs the heart of God. Amen. There's something about saying, God, I don't have much, but what I have I give you. And something with that touched Jesus. The boy said, I don't have a lot, but here it is. He wasn't worried about people's opinions. He heard that Jesus needed food and he gave it. He wasn't worried about being hungry himself. He was giving away his food for probably at least a day. He knew Jesus would take care of him. The boy wasn't afraid to take that huge leap of faith because he knew that Jesus would catch him and in Jesus' arms he would be safe. In Hayward, behind the National Fishing Hall of Fame, if you've ever been there, it's that big musky area that you go past. It's the National Fishing Hall of Fame. Behind that is Hayward Beach. And Hayward Beach used to have a swimming dock in it. You'd climb up on the dock, and if you went on the, the river side of the lake, you'd jump off into eight feet. And if you jumped on the shore side of the lake, you jumped into four feet of water. And after my mom died, one of the pictures we found was me at four years old jumping off the deep end into my father's arms. I don't, I don't know who took the picture, if it was my grandma or my mom, but it was me in the air going like this and my dad down in the water swimming and going like this and I'm in the, in the air jumping out to him. And I was thinking about, I have no memory of this myself, but I was thinking about what must have been going through my mind at the time, knowing that that water is so deep, my, my dad's swimming, yet I trusted my dad enough to go and jump into his arms. And that's the kind of faith that was being exhibited by the, his boy who's given his meager little lunch to Jesus. And he makes that leap of faith and Jesus is blessed by it. And Jesus decides to use this little boy's faith to give us a lesson that still echoes through the centuries to today. God doesn't need a lot to work with, but he does need something from us. Five small barley cakes and two sardines would, be, would barely satisfy the hunger of this young boy, much less put any sort of dent in feeding tens of thousands of people. Yet God used it to show us something. And that something is that God can take your little bit and accomplish great things with it. But if you're not willing to let go of your lunch and trust God, God cannot nor will not move. Many of you are missing out on what God has for you because you've not trusted Him with something that is very precious to you. Maybe you're choosing to worry instead of pray and trust. Maybe you need a financial breakthrough and you hold on to your money with two tight fists. 
Maybe you worry about the future so you accumulate all kinds of possessions and wealth. Maybe God is waiting for you to take those two closed fists that are holding on to that one thing and let go and let Him have it. Let me address why God needs something with a little bit of deeper teaching this morning. Theological term I'm going to teach this morning, something called dispensation. A dispensation is simply a time period that defines how God chooses to relate with humanity and the conditions that have to be met by humanity to please God. There are many different dispensations that are found in the Bible and that explain this. Um, we're going to focus on the last one. I'll just run through the different dispensations. I'll, the idea of dispensations is just a tool to understand how God works. It's not necessarily perfect, but, um, but it's one of the tools that we kind of try to figure out why God does what he does. Very quickly, this is how a dispensational theologian would divide up biblical history. Prior to the first sin of Adam and Eve, they lived in a dispensation of innocence. After the fall of man to Noah, the dispensation of conscience was in effect. From Noah to Abraham, the dispensation of government was in effect. From Abraham to Moses was a dispensation of the patriarchs that God related to humanity through the patriarchs. From Moses through Jesus' death was a dispensation of the law. After the resurrection and ascension of Jesus to heaven, we now exist in the dispensation of grace. In the dispensation of grace, God has chosen to relate to you and me through faith. Amen. And the way that we are saved is through our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Faith is the key to getting God's attention. That is why he needs something from us sometimes, because he needs that exercise of faith to, in order to move within our world. In relation to the story of a boy giving up his lunch, it means there has to be some sort of action on God's part for him to move. And that action involves faith. And God is so serious about this that Paul writes in Romans that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It's found in Romans 14.23, the last part of that verse. Whichever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's a pretty... Pretty heavy statement right there. And you might say, I don't understand. I don't have anything to give to God. I don't have any talent. I don't have treasure. I don't have time. I don't have anything to give for his kingdom. But your understanding of how God can use you or something you have is not required. Because if you knew how it was going to be used, it wouldn't be faith. He just wants you to be available and be willing to be used. The boy giving up his lunch had no idea how Jesus could multiply this. He had no idea how Jesus could take this little sack lunch and feed all these people or how it was going to figure out. He just had the faith to give it to him. And his story is one of the most told stories in the entire Bible. And I really hope that this boy came to a saving faith in Jesus someday because I want to meet him in heaven. He's, just, he's, he's on my visitation list in heaven. I just want to meet this boy. The third thing I want to look at today is the abundance, the reward of faith. In verse 12 it said, when they, had enough, when they all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled up twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Jesus had a second goal in the feeding of these people. He was showing his disciples what he could do with a simple act of obedience and faith. It isn't so much what you give, it's a heart attitude in which you give it. You remember the gospel story of the widow with the two mites. Let me paraphrase the story. In the gospel of Mark and Luke, there's an account about Jesus sitting in the temple right by the offering box, seeing how much people put in. Now you had your millionaires, you had your Warren Buffett, you had your Bill Gates, you had your bezels, you had the guys coming in and just dumping money in here, big coins, they didn't have dollar bills, but they just had gold coins, they'd be dumping massive amounts of money in here and making sure everybody could see how much money they're putting in there. And then there came this widow who had two pennies and that's all she had to live on, but she still gave that money to God. Now, Jesus didn't say anything about the overabundance of wealth poured in by the rich that was seen by everyone. But he said this woman, by exercising her faith in God, gave more in her two pennies than the billionaires gave with all of their wealth. Because she exercised faith when she did it. And sometimes offerings and tithing and use of talents and time are just that. It's an exercise of faith. Faith is the key. This last Wednesday we were studying Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says this about faith. It says, Without faith is it impossible to please God. Let me say that again. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. One of the best lessons about faith that I learned from my previous pastor was sitting in a church or a staff board meeting and, and we're going over financial reports. And we went through a period at Prayer House that was just so dire. We were worried that we weren't going to be able to pay the pastors or the electric bill. We had that kind of a choice. Like, okay, do we pay the staff or do we pay the electric bill? And we're going through this and our senior pastor just said, you know what, let's just go pray about it. And we spent an hour in prayer. It's just seeking God, seeing what He wanted us to do, seeing what the, the solution to this was. And after we prayed, He sat us all back down. He said, we need to take what money we have in the checking account right now, and we need to find a ministry that is really needy right now and give it all away. Now, me being kind of the black and white scientific kind of guy, looked at him like he has just gone insane. I, I'm just thinking, okay, column A over here says we have this much. You want to give away this much, which means we're broke, which means it didn't matter, it, it didn't matter to me as much because I wasn't paid, but it really matters to these guys over here that are paid if, if they're not going to be able to pay their mortgage next week. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, what are we going to give? We don't have anything to give. But you know what? Pastor Ron was right. His answer was always pray and then give. And the next week we had three huge offerings come in. He didn't say anything to the church. He didn't make, put out a plea for money. He didn't do anything but be obedient to God's principles of charity and God's principles of faith and trusting in Him. 
It always worked. Jesus said this in Luke 6.38. He said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This verse was illustrated to the disciples by the gathering of 12 baskets of leftovers. One for each of them. Now it's one thing for God to move in your life and you be able to testify of how God moved in your life. It's quite another that they had to walk around Galilee carrying these baskets of God's blessing and show it to people. This is what God did with five loaves and two fish. If you don't believe me, here it is. Here is the proof. They got to show that blessing to everyone and got to share it with others.